Chapter 15 The Bagthorpes were up early on the morning of the 11th. Rosie had made sure of this. They were all gathered in the kitchen, surrounded by wrapping paper and string, when Mrs. Fosdyke arrived just before eight. "'Happy birthday, Rosie!' She was removing her coat as she spoke, but instead of a hat she was wearing today a turban that almost concealed a head full of tin curlers. This she kept on. "'And here's something for you.' She had given Rosie a toy xylophone that they all recognized because it had been in the village shop since the previous Christmas. Mrs. Fosdyke rarely went into the town. She said there were too many cars and that the air was pollutinated. Also, she was afraid of having her pocket picked. A discussion of the weather followed. It was one of those July days when the weather could swing either way. It was still cool. There was a rather watery look about the sky, but on the other hand, a hint that the sun was there, about to break through. By and large, it seemed that the picnic was on. There were mixed feelings about this. "'You didn't have any dreams or anything last night, did you, Jack?' Tess asked. He truthfully assured her that he had not, but she nonetheless announced her intention of taking her bat down to the field with her for self-defense. She also said it was a pity that Mr. Bagthorpe could not shoot. "'Most people who live in the country can shoot,' she said accusingly. "'You haven't even got a gun.' Mr. Bagthorpe pointed out that it would be difficult to get any worthwhile kind of an aim with his right arm in plaster, and added that he didn't believe in killing animals anyway. "'He loved animals,' he said, and was a conservationist.' <laughs> Grandpa must have caught some of the drift of the conversation because he said loudly, "'Newspaper's the best. Get them on a clear surface and swat!' He brought the flat of his hand down on the table to illustrate his point. "'Bit early for wasps yet,' he said cheerfully. "'But you never know. Make sure we take some newspapers. No harm in one of those sprays, either.' He was evidently in a happy mood at the prospect of possibly combining his two favorite pursuits— Stuffed eggs were bound to be on the menu. "'I hopes, Mrs. Bagthorpe,' said Mrs. Fosdyke, "'that there will be no squirting sprays on my food.' "'Of course not, Mrs. Fosdyke,' she assured her. "'That was just Mr. Bagthorpe's little joke.' It was a busy morning for everyone. William and Jack were given the job of carrying the trestle tables and chairs down to the field. Zero accompanied them on each journey, and this got on William's nerves. "'That dog can't do anything,' he said. Most dogs can carry things in their mouths. Jack pointed out that it was unreasonable to expect Zero to carry a chair in his mouth, or a trestle. "'It's not even as if he's a guard dog,' William said. "'If that bear of yours does turn up this afternoon, he'll be out of this field like a flash. He'll probably be the only one to get away.' They then had an argument about where to place the tables once they had them in the field. William wanted them in the open, Jack under a tree. William said things dropped out of trees, and he didn't want things in his food, thank you. And Jack argued that if the sun came out, all the cream and the meringues and strawberry shortcake and such would go sour. In the end, they compromised, and half was in sun, half in shade. Mr. Bagthorpe had earlier said rather smugly how he regretted not being able to help because of his injured arm, and shut himself up in his study. About mid-morning he came out again. He went into the kitchen and flung himself into a chair. "'It's happened,' he announced. "'What has, dear?' Mrs. Bagthorpe was packing paper cups and plates into a box. "'I've got a block,' he said. "'Oh, I'm sure you haven't, dear,' said Mrs. Bagthorpe. She went on counting under her breath, and this must have irritated Mr. Bagthorpe, 
who liked to have a serious thing like a block taken seriously. What's a block? Writer's block. He just can't think of anything to write. Mm. It's the end of the road, he said tragically. I've lost it. It's gone. Lost what? inquired Mrs. Bagthorpe absentmindedly. Eleven, twelve, thirteen. Lost whatever it was I had, of course. Mr. Bagthorpe was beginning to shout. You don't understand. None of you understand. As if to rub salt in the wound, Mrs. Fosdyke was bustling about the place, darting from here to there in her best hedgehog manner. Every available surface was taken up with trays of food. Mr. Bagthorpe glowered at her. It seemed to him a bitter irony that he was blocked, and Mrs. Fosdyke was not. Mrs. Fosdyke, indeed, was in peak form. Matters were not improved by Grandma entering at this juncture, carrying a dusty-looking cat-basket. <laughs> Tess found it in the loft and is going to clean it up for me and line it with flannel, she told them. Everything will be ready. Mr. Bagthorpe opened his mouth to make a cutting retort, then remembered it was someone's birthday and closed it again. He really did make an effort to be calm and kind on feast days. He did not think he could manage it surrounded by people darting about like hedgehogs, however, or crooning over tattered cat baskets, so he left abruptly to hug his block to himself. He went into the sitting room and found Rosie there, seated before a mirror, painting her birthday self-portrait. Oh, do go away, she begged. I can't do it if anyone's looking. He could not bear the sterile atmosphere of his study, jibbed at the charred dining room, so went into the garden, where he began deadheading roses to calm his nerves. The party was due to begin at half-past three, with family games in the meadow, followed by tea. Lunch was an almost non-existent affair, with people walking about with cheese sandwiches and talking with their mouths full. No one could sit at a table because the tables were all covered with trays of food for tea. At two, Mrs. Fosdyke excused herself and went up to the bathroom carrying a large plastic bag. When she came down ten minutes later, she was transformed. Her hair was in tight curls. She wore a black dress with sprays of mauve flowers on it and shiny shoes with heels. The Bagthorpes boggled. They had never seen Mrs. Fosdyke dressed up before. Even at parties, perhaps especially at parties, she would always run around in her wraparound pinafore, giving an impression of ten people doing the work of one. On these previous occasions, of course, Mrs. Fosdyke had never had the prospect of being photographed with her food. None of the Bagthorpes had intended to do anything very special in the way of dress. The kinds of games they were proposing to play were of the rough-and-tumble variety, and although no one put this into words, no one wished to be caught fleeing from a great brown bear in long skirts, or any other form of clothing that might impede rapid movement. Now, however, they felt that Mrs. Fosdyke had set a certain tone, which it was up to them to match. One by one, therefore, they drifted upstairs and came down, attired, with a greater or lesser degree of sartorial elegance. Grandma put on an old black full-length frock and a silver locket, which everybody knew contained two color photographs of Thomas. Not to be outdone, all the other female Bagthorpes wore long skirts, with the sole exception of Tess, who was obviously more worried about the great brown bear than anyone else. She wore a new pair of denim flares she had been saving for going on holiday. William, doubtless with the impression the intention of impressing Atlanta, was giving himself a Byronic air, wore a purple shirt with a yellow scarf knotted carelessly at the neck, a style he had never previously gone in for. 
Oddly enough, Mr. Bagthorpe had chosen much the same sort of thing, and the pair of them kept eyeing one another hard, as if each was suspecting the other of some kind of subversive tactic. When Uncle Parker roared up at about three, attired in a cream open-neck shirt with a scarlet neckerchief, the whole thing really did begin to look like a conspiracy, or the beginnings of a secret society. Jack was reminded of what Mrs. Fosdyke had said about things always going in threes. He took a good look at Daisy, and thought she looked rather calm and subdued. Perhaps the saturation technique had taken all the fire-raising spirit out of her. He hoped so. He did not know what it was that was going to happen shortly in the meadow, but whatever it was, he did not want it distracted from by something going up in flames. Aunt Celia was wearing sunglasses, although the sun was not fully out. Jack thought perhaps she felt safer behind them. If she'd known about the great brown bear, it was unlikely that she would have been present at all, he thought. She must simply be suffering from an understandable general sense of unease. Once they were all foregathered, Mrs. Bagthorpe arranged a kind of ceremonial procession down to the meadow with everyone carrying a tray of food, and Rosie in the lead bearing the cake. Mrs. Fosdyke insisted on carrying the trifles and the strawberry shortcake herself. Obviously, she felt these were the most photogenic of her efforts, and did not wish to see them end up in the long grass. Grandpa had been entrusted with the stuffed eggs, and was walking very carefully indeed, his eyes riveted on them. 